You're listening to Date Smarter, Sexier with your host, matchmaker and dating coach, Andrea LaRosa, accompanied by co-host Kanan, where we're talking about everything love, sex, and relationships. Now let's get chatting. Welcome back, friends. Today we are going to be just Kanan and myself every once in a while. It has to be just us. Just <laughs> us. Just you and me having a little conversation about love and dating and possibly sex. Who knows? But yeah. Sex always comes into it. Come on. I know. Somehow. <laughs> it, oh, you know, my fr- I remember when I was younger, my friends would make a joke about me. They would be like, Kenny, I don't know how you do it, but you always seem to bring the conversation back to sex somehow. I'm like, I don't know why. Maybe I'm horny. All I don't know what it is, but somehow I always found a way to link it either back to sex or myself. So, so this has always been a thing. I don't know about linking it back to yourself part, but like linking it back to sex, this is like, yeah, this is just who you are. Yeah. Own I it. mean, lean into I it. Do- I, I am going to own it a little bit more. Sometimes I, was, I remember I did a podcast like kind of sort of recently outside of our show. And I felt like I was a little nervous in the show because in our okay. show here, we have a good flow. And, you know, I share things with you and with our audience, of course. Of course. And when I was on this other show, I didn't bring that personality over there. So I feel like maybe I did a disservice a little, but... I almost felt uncomfortable sitting in that energy for a second, but it's oh. kind of okay to sit in that energy, that sexual energy, because I, I don't know why that happened. I feel like in certain situations, I shy away from the the overt sexuality of myself and become a little bit more timid. And then other times it's like, oh, I like to suck cocks and da 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 It's like, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, as an example. Right. But I know. you know, <laughs> yeah. I laugh because when I get feedback about our show, I'm not going to lie. I think most of our listeners listen because they love listening to when Kanan's going to drop some like f bombs and some cocks and some like. <laughs> it must be growing it. up on Joan Rivers and people like oh. that because I grew up in a generation of like. I mean, I was born in the '80s. But growing up, you know, we had like Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. So that very crass humor. And we also had Joan. I had Joan Rivers because as a gay man coming up, you know, that's kind of who we gravitated towards. Or even RuPaul. When RuPaul had the talk show, the RuPaul show on VH1, very oh sassy God. show. So it's a lot of these sassy influences I've had my entire life. So and plus, I'm from New Jersey. Like, <laughs> Oh, that's it. That's it. Like That's the it right joke, there. the joke in America is besides Florida and Texas is New Jersey is like the armpit of America where we're like the trashiest people. We wear animal prints, which I have one right fucking now. <laughs> I, I, the, you know, the tackiest makeup, the tackiest clothes, but we love it. We're like the Californians who wish they were Californians with just gaudiness all over and we own it. An attitude. A lot of attitude, yeah. I get accused of having a lot of fucking (laughs) attitude. Like, you are so sassy. Oh my God. I'm like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) But I love you for it and our listeners Mm. love you for it. So please don't change Mm. because I think that's why our listeners stay tuned in because my information gets a little mundane after a while. You keep it spicy. Well, I hope so, because sometimes I worry about that, because, you know, sometimes when we're trying to secure guests, you know, we've had some situations where they kind of got a little scared off. And I'm like, yeah. are we too aggressive? Because one of our guests did say one time, you guys tell it like it is. And sometimes mm-hmm. telling it like it is scares people. And sometimes, right. you know, we hold up a mirror all very often. Like I remember in um, in one of our episodes actually coming up, you know, so stay tuned, keep listening. This will be coming up. We had a guest where I said something. Um, he shared something and I was like, oh my God, how could you do that? But it's just, it's how we flow. And if right. we hold up the mirror to people and get them to really 
look at themselves and we look at ourselves too in this show. And I think it just Mm -hmm. helps us grow as individuals and help us be better at dating. So keep listening to Date Smarter Sex here. We have so many great episodes ahead. And I I think like for the way our seasons work, like season one was just Kaden and myself trying to figure out our flow. So like when people ask like, oh, what should I listen to? I always say like, just eh, skip over season one. (laughs) Season two, we hit our flow. We were just killing it. And we were sharing a lot about ourselves. We were really being open and vulnerable about ourselves. Season three, seeing that we're talking about dating and a lot of our guests are coming on as somebody who is currently exploring the world of dating and relationships Mm -hmm. and so you're going to hear a lot more of how I coach in this season. So if you're listening to me, listeners, and you're like, damn, she's being harsh with that guest. Well, I'm sorry, but that's the way I coach. So yeah. maybe I'm not a good fit for you. But, you know, a lot of my clients do appreciate the fact that I am very honest and I am very direct about it. And I want you to be successful, but I want you to be successful quickly, not, you know, six months down the road. Yeah. And they say ripping off the band-aid helps you deal with things much quicker. I I guess or some I think for some, like yeah, some situations. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I can, you know, hold back when I know that this isn't something that someone's ready to hear, because that happens. Yeah. But yeah. you know, it is going to give our listeners a little taste of what coaching is going to sound like to some degree on mm-hmm. the show with these guests this season, because I can't help myself sometimes. I just have to coach some of them. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think we all need coaching. Even coaches need coaches. You know, know, I have my own coaches. So there you go. We, we, we all have blinders of some sort where we, we cannot see. It's like the mirror thing. Like you can't really see what you look like, no matter how hard you try in life, you can look at photos, you can look in the mirror, but how other people see you, how the entire world Mm -hmm. sees you aesthetically or how, how your body is made up. You can never really truly see that. And that being said, that's where a coach comes. They're able to see what you don't see. They're able to point things out and be like, hey, have you ever thought about this like that? Like my husband sometimes is my coach. Like today I was going through all these ideas with my company. No, 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 not even that today. It was uh, an audition. And I'm like coming up with like, should I do this? Should I like do an outfit (laughs) change in the middle of it? He's like, no, 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 let's let's pull it back in and stay concentrated. (laughs) Bring it in. Yes, let's just just pull. I'm like, okay. See, that's what a coach would do in a certain situation. If you ask some questions about how am I approaching this, you as a coach would then say, hey, maybe you should look at it this way. And I love that about coaches. I mean, we all need a coach. It's like we're trying. Well, coaches see the big picture. That's our job. Mm -hmm. A good coach, and not everyone's a good coach, but a good coach can see the bigger picture. They can see the end game. They can see how you can get from here to there. And they will mm. walk you through all of those steps and hold your hand yeah. while they do it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, a coach I needs mean, a coach. A therapist needs a therapist. You said holding hands. And it's funny that you just said that because today's episode is, you know, we we're going to talk about attachment styles. And I think I'm that's, excited an interest, for this one. that's an interesting segue because, you know, some people do. I don't know if that's one of the attachments house. You haven't really talked. We have you. You're, you're keeping it for you know the audience to hear for the first time. Maybe yes. myself here for the first time as well. But I would imagine one of the attachment styles is um, like someone that's clingy or someone that's needy. Like I'm just just throwing that out there. I don't know for sure, but let's because you actually have me taking this attachment yes. style test at yes thebook.com. Yes, um, so. Let's first introduce what attachment styles are and mm-hmm. what we're going to do today so our listeners kind of have an idea. First of all, I want to first recognize that there are a lot of different authority figures out there on attachment styles, and I prefer the information that comes from the book called Attached by uh, Amir Levine, mm-hmm. um, and there's a website for it as well. And while I'm explaining to our listeners what the attachment styles are, basically, and really quick rundown of it, 
Hayden is actually going to take the quiz while I explain to you guys what the attachment styles are and a little, just a little information about them so that we can give him some time to finish the quiz. And then we're going to talk about what his style is. Although I have a funny feeling. I already know what it is. As long as I'm honest with these questions, because some of these questions I'm reading here, I'm like, okay, shh. Like, read one. Okay, so the first question is it makes me nervous when my partner gets too close. And the options are strongly agree, agree, neither agree or disagree, disagree or strongly disagree. And I feel like I'm so moody that there are moments where I'm like, hey, back the fuck up. But then there's also moments where I'm like, oh, I just want to like snuggle on your chest and like, you know, kiss your cheeks and just be real close to you. And then he's like, hey, back the fuck up. (laughs) So, Hmm. In general, in think general. of it on a good day in general, not on a moody day. Uh, okay, then. Yeah, I got to be a little more honest. Just overall. Okay. So I'm going to go through the attachment styles. You take the quiz. I'm excited. Um, okay. <laughs> so in the book attached, he really only goes over three attachment styles, but there are a lot of experts out there that believe there actually are four. So Mm -hmm. first being anxious, also called preoccupied by some. Um, The anxious attachment style is that clingy, needy, I must know where you are. They're usually very insecure as far as having trust in their partner and trust in themselves. They don't trust their gut. They never, they don't, I don't want to say never. That was the wrong word to you. Sorry. They mm-hmm. don't usually have very good boundaries. Therefore, they don't know what to expect from a healthy relationship from their partner. Um, they want to know where you are all the time. Uh, and like the, the jealous boyfriend or jealous girlfriend almost like that. Kind yes, of yes. Okay. Overly jealous. Like uh, okay. the stalker girlfriend or boyfriend. Yeah, they're an anxious attachment style. Then we have an avoidance, also called a dismissive, sometimes for some experts. The avoidant is the one who keeps everyone at arm's length, that never lets anyone in, isn't usually open and vulnerable in a relationship, won't even commit to a relationship. So commitment phobe is Mm -hmm. an avoidant usually. Mm -hmm. Um, Some experts out there believe in disorganized, which can also be a fearful avoidance. Um, which is just the next level of avoidance to a higher degree. Uh, In the book attached, they don't really talk about that one too much. And then Mm -hmm. there's secure. Secure is the one that you are hoping that when you take this quiz that you are going to be, which... I don't know about that based on how I'm <laughs> answering some of these questions. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. So somebody who is a secure attachment style, usually, so let's, let's back up. Attachment styles are determined by how you were raised. It is how you attached to the parental figures in your life. So not necessarily parents, but whoever raised you. If it's an older sibling, if it was grandparents, if you mm-hmm. was a foster family, it doesn't matter what it was. It's that parental figure. It's how you attach to them and how you felt loved by them. And I'm summing this up in a nutshell. There's a lot more to it. But ultimately, that's how our attachment style is determined. And taking this quiz will help you figure out what your style is. Yes, you can change your style. You can work really hard to become a secure attachment style if you are not already. But it does take a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort to kind of have that shift and to move into that healthy attachment style. But unfortunately, there is only one healthy attachment style and it is the secure attachment style. A secure that's like person, most of us are the others. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, if you're secure, it means that you can fairly easily trust other people, right? You go into a relationship with established trust. You don't go into the relationship assuming there's a lack of trust already. You go into it. And once the trust is broken, then it'll change. But you go into the relationship having some um, security in trusting your partner, um, 
being open and vulnerable with them. You tend to, you know, want to be cooperative with your partner. Um, you're a little bit more flexible in the give and take, right? And you can communicate fairly well. And so that's what everyone is striving to be is that secure attachment style. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're not sure and you haven't taken the quiz, just think back to your childhood. And, you know, obviously like everyone has issues. Like I was raised by divorced parents, but because my parents had a really healthy friendship uh, for the most part, they, they definitely had their issues, but for the most part, they co-parented really nicely and they had a good friendship. I, I turned out to be a secure attachment style. It does mm. not mean that you don't have moments where you can be anxious or avoidant in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Or if you get into a relationship with somebody who's avoidant, it could push you more towards the anxious side. Well, but ultimately, did you finish? Yes. Yeah, funny you say that because that is actually my attachment style. Avoidant. Avoidant. Mm -hmm. You're an avoidant? Yeah. It is very important for you to maintain your independence and self-sufficiency, and you often prefer autonomy in intimate relationships. Even though you do not want to be in a relationship, you feel uncomfortable with too much closeness and tend to keep your partner at arm's length, which is slightly true. Mm -hmm. You don't spend much time worrying about your romantic relationships or about being rejected. You tend not to open up to your partners and they often complain that you are emotionally distant. I've heard that a lot. In relationships, you are often on high alert for any signs of control or impingement on your territory by your partner. Yes, that is an issue right now. There's a way to reach <laughs> there's a way to reach greater happiness in your relationships though. And attached, we help to understand that what makes you tick as an avoidant person and teach oh, this is where they're trying to sell me on something now. Right. Okay. They're trying uh, to sell you the book. Yeah. So okay. that must mean John must be secure. Oh yeah, he's definitely secure. Yeah. Because that you have a healthy relationship and that's the only way that would work. Yeah. One of you has to be secure. Yeah, because he's definitely not anxious. I, I rarely ever see him anxious. He does not get jealous. None of that. No, no, yeah, no. He's definitely secure. That's awesome. Yeah, so in a relationship, so I know I'm pretty sure our listeners are probably asking like, hey, wait a minute. You know, if I'm an anxious or an avoidant, does that mean I can't have a, a relationship? That doesn't mean that at all. It no. means, though, that if you want a healthy relationship, you need to be with secure. Yeah. Obviously, an avoidant and avoidant can't be together. Oh, no. Like, let's just think about that. Yeah. <laughs> You'll never see each other. Oh, my God. If I was <laughs> dating someone like me, we'll never do anything. Like, I'll be right. waiting for him to do something. He'll be waiting for me to do. We'll just be just sitting there like, oh, I guess we're just going to sit here then. <laughs> <laughs> and the toxic relationships are when you have an avoidant and an anxious together. A lot of my ex-relationships are that because. It's like a little merry-go-round of. Oh, chasing. yeah. Woo! Yeah. Because <laughs> like one second I'm interested. And then as soon as they get like fucking crazy on me, then I like run away. And then they're like, come back, come back, come back, please. And I'm like, oh, my God, leave me alone. And then I become interested. It's, please. It's like a, a sick cycle. So I avoid anxious. And that energy is way too frantic for anyone, except for someone that's secure, which is not me. This. Tess actually explained a lot of why a lot of my relationships have failed in the past. Because when I think of one partner that I was so in love with, he, just thinking about it, was also avoidant, even though he was probably mm. the only other person I thought I would have ever married, but he was definitely an avoidant. And a lot of the other guys that it didn't work out, they were anxious. Mm -hmm. So John is actually the first secure. And it's interesting that he's a first secure because he's also the first openly gay man that I've ever been with that was gay from he's never been with a woman before. I mean, he dated a girl in high school, but he's never like had kids. Right. Like, all of my ex exes have been married to women and had children. My first wow. boyfriend had two sons and he was Latin. My second had an adult daughter. And then had a grandkid in the midst of us. So John is actually the first. And in 
when we're out together, he doesn't hide the fact that we're together. Like he wants, like Aww. every time we go to Disneyland or anywhere, he holds my hand. That's actually still to this day something I struggle with. Because um, you're an avoidant. Yes. So that PDA is, is a little tough for you as an avoidant. A, a little tough. Like even dropping him off every morning, he loves to kiss. And I just see the valet guys just staring at us. And I'm just like, babe, there's stage. This. I don't care. He does not care about anything like we'll be talking about personal things with the sliding door open i'm like babe the neighbors can hear i don't give a shit i told her whatever (laughs) i want (laughs) i'm like oh my god i wish i had your pride i wish i had like all of that but yeah so this explains a lot Mm -hmm. you know knowing what your attachment style is and understanding it really helps with relationships so for those listening who are not yet in a relationship it doesn't mean start going on dates and asking people their attachment style. Don't don't be that person. I've seen I've seen it. You're making that face, and I know our listeners can't see it, but well, I've heard it happening. Really? Oh my gosh! Yes, mostly oh women. God. They get between like, that and signs. It's like those are two questions you just should not ask on a first date. <laughs> What's your sign? <laughs> it's like- What's your attachment style? What's your love language? Oh, love languages. That's another one that people will ask. And it's like, don't ask these things on a first date. Like, yeah. just and you know what? Your For role. those of you listening, keep listening to the show because that's coming soon. We'll be explaining love languages as well. So yes, yeah. that'll be yes, a fun keep one listening. Too. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like these things, and no offense to female listeners, um, are important to our female listeners on the first date, but honestly. Every time I hear a guy talking about a first day and what annoys him about the questions, it's usually those three things. Like not not those in particular, but something forming around that. And then, of course, I mean, guys love to talk about their careers and shit, how much they make. But for some reason, they don't want to talk about what's your sign or, or, or anything dealing with like the future of the relationship. They just completely like clam up or just like freeze up and just don't mm-hmm. want to talk anymore. And I find that very interesting but yeah don't talk about those things on your first day i agree no for sure yeah but i do suggest you read the book and you figure out like which take the test even and make sure you know what your attachment style is like for me i'm a secure attachment style but i am really really borderline avoidant sometimes um i just barely make it into that secure Mm -hmm. style Because, you know, if you think about a a typical avoidant, for one, they'll downplay the importance of relationships. So if you're the type of person that when you were out dating, that you were kind of like, yeah, I don't really need a relationship right now. I'm good. I'm okay by myself. I like being alone. You're more than likely probably showing some high avoidant tendencies. Mm, Right? Think of all the people that you hear say that. Yeah. And honestly, I all I think they're all fucking lying. Another f bomb. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. You're gonna hear it a lot in the show. I'm sorry, but I think they're all lying. When, mm-hmm. Okay, no, that's that's mean. Some people do. Some people enjoy being single. Like, do some people naturally enjoy? No, I don't think you're wrong. I'm not gonna say every single person. I know our listeners are probably screaming at me right now because they're saying like, "I'm alone and I'm happy." No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> because we need connection. Yeah. You just don't want to get hurt again. Yes. It's fear. So there's that um there's that strong sense of fear of like I don't want to have to go through this again. I don't want to date another toxic person. I don't want to get hurt again. I'm happier just being by myself and you're using the word happy incorrectly, I think. You're mm-hmm. not happy being alone. Yeah. Happy means you're experiencing joy and you're smiling and you want to share it with the world. I and don't know very many people who are alone who are like, yes, damn it, I'm alone and I'm going to scream it at the top of my lungs and yeah. I'm going to celebrate it. So I call yeah. bullshit. You're content. Yes, content is a correct word because even when they have pets, you can they still be like a little edgy sometimes like you know that person can use a good screw and i know we say it jokingly but sex does help and you can tell a lot of times when someone is not having sex just based on their energy and how they're interacting mm-hmm. with people it's very you can it's feel very erratic 
Yeah, very, very erratic. And that's why sex is a physiological need. I learned that in college. Like I know some people may take it to an extreme and become sexual addicts or whatever the case may be. But for all of us to stay, it's almost like meditation, I would think, you know? Or like exercise. It calms the nerves, right? Mm -hmm. It keeps your hormone levels in balance for one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it keeps you chemically balanced as well. Yeah. You know, keeps your oxytocin levels where they need to be. And it keeps your vasopressin levels where they need to be for (laughs) men and all those things. Like it's really important, but yes. So like an avoidant male who is having a lot of sex, like he has that need for sex, but he doesn't Mm. want to be in a relationship because he doesn't want to be vulnerable. He fears being in a relationship. And if he's mm-hmm. a fearful avoidant, then he has really low self-esteem mm-hmm. and uses sex probably to fill that void of that self-esteem, that lack of self-esteem. I literally think that is a case for so many men. And I try not to be so vocal about it, especially in the gay community a lot of times, because I know sex is something that we've used for a long time to express ourselves, to connect with one another. But I've been in situations where, you know, there's a lot of men around me having sex, or I've been in situations where I've had sex a lot. And then at the end of it, what do you really feel? Like in one of our future episodes, I asked Mm -hmm. one of our guests, you know, okay, after that, that, that hookup, how did you feel? He said, it felt great. I'm like, okay. How often do you really truly feel great with these like sexual connections that are just like passing and they're um, superficial and all of that? Like, I wonder that about those avoidant types. It's like, okay, so you got that 15, 20, 30 seconds or maybe a few minutes of feeling like you're on top of the world. You're the most powerful man ever. And then it's done. And of Mm. course, after a man ejaculates, he's still, the shame rushes back into him. So then it kind of almost does sometimes seem like a a weird cycle that a lot of men go through to, to, of self-validation. Like, okay, Mm. um, I feel like shit today. What can I do to make me feel better? I know I'll go fuck somebody. Well, sometimes it's sexual conquest as well, right? Tell me you've never slept with someone and felt like you had like this sexual conquest at the end, like this, you know, I can't believe like I got that person or I can't believe that like they're so hot. Like I just had sex with that person or maybe it was just like a shit ton of fun and you're like, oh my God, that was so much fun. But like, I don't actually want a relationship with that person. So I'm just going to like chalk it up to it is what it is kind of thing. Yes, that has happened. But those situations are like far. Um, there's gaps in between them. Like, okay, oh, let's yeah. See. That's what I'm saying. Like those situations don't happen as often. Yeah, they can happen more often if you're single, but they don't have, let's say you're having sex with 10 people in over 10 months At or once. whatever. No, 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 no. I'm trying to make it more realistic for like someone that's actually a single. Over 10 months, okay, for a gay man, he may have sex with 10 people. For a single straight female, I don't know what that number looks like. I don't want to throw numbers out there, but maybe maybe two or three of those people you'll have a memorable experience with, right? The other seven is just like, did I have sex with that person? You're just wondering because it was just, it didn't fulfill you. And that's what I wonder sometimes about when us men are having sex. Like, are we doing it because we're bored? Are we doing it because we don't feel validated? Because I noticed sometimes in the past (laughs) when I feel (laughs) frustrated, yeah, I have to say in the past, when I feel frustrated or I, I feel like I don't have control or I feel like, um, I don't feel secure. That's for one. I would use sex to feel some kind of something, to feel somewhat alive, to feel like I'm still connected to Mm. some bigger thing. But then when it was done, I go back to all the feelings that I had before. And it's just like. So for a lot of men, they sex isn't just about like partnership and relationship. That's that's more of the 
the female aspect of it. You know, women um, connect sex with relationships and that's that whole oxytocin thing. Anyways, Mm -hmm. but for men, for a lot of guys, sex is just a way to feel connected momentarily or have validation. It connects to their self-worth and their confidence. Hence the reason why in season two, we talked so much about men, their ego being so bruised. If a partner doesn't get off or if a partner doesn't enjoy themselves or wants to stop midway or doesn't like something that they're doing, it's so closely connected to that self-esteem that they immediately become sensitive about it. And it's like, oh my gosh, like guys who, I remember I had an ex-boyfriend once and he has, you know, his hands aren't that much bigger than mine. And we were laying in bed, this is before we had sex. And I was comparing my hand size to his. And I was like, oh, wow, your hands aren't actually that big. (laughs) And he immediately got offended thinking I meant something about his penis size. And I was like, first of all, dude, I haven't seen it. So like, whatever. And size is not the end all game here. Like I was just pointing out that I have actually really big hands for a girl. That's all I was trying to like say, but he immediately got offended and anxious about the fact that I might be referencing the size of his penis. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't, Wow. (laughs) but yeah, that's what happens. Our egos can bruise very easily. And let me tell you, those little things will remember forever. Yeah. Um, it's it's a thing. I mean, I feel like that's something that's going to have to evolve over time. But I think that goes back to the history of toxic masculinity. Uh, I know people hate hearing that, especially guys these days, because they don't think that it exists. But it's the reason why you can't cry. It is the reason why you can't hug your dad and tell you you love him. It is the reason why you can't be emotional with your girlfriend or your wife. So it, mm-hmm. it exists. So that being said, I, I I think I still get my ego bruised. Like there have been times, you know, my husband and I, we have a beautiful relationship, but we also enjoy other things. Like when we go to Palm Springs and there have been times where I would get rejected in a situation that I wasn't expecting. And I'm just like, oh, and then automatic, I'm like, oh, it's because I'm black. It's because I have a small dick. It's because I'm fat. It's because of this. Men's like their entire thing is attached to their appearance, their ego. And when anyone doesn't like them, they take it so personal. That's why I think the guys who wear the sunglasses, all the jewelry, those are the most insecure guys because they need all that shit to feel secure. I'm actually really glad you brought that up because it's something that I don't think we've ever talked about. I don't think I've ever really talked about, but it's a really good point when it comes to dating app profiles. Mm-hmm. When you are looking at a dating app profile and you only see guys with hats and sunglasses on he Mm. is very insecure yeah he might be the anxious uh, attachment style the anxious because so we didn't talk about anxious did we so let's let's hit the uh, anxious attachment style we kind of talked about secure a little bit we talked about avoidance of course Um, because i'm it (laughs) (laughs) but the anxious attachment style is the very nervous person who doesn't have a lot of trust and needs, they need a lot of communication, yet they don't know how to communicate. Um, They tend to be the ones who get jealous easily or will try to purposely make their partner jealous because they need that validation. They're never feeling validated. Mm. You know, they're that partner that will pick fights for attention. So if you have that partner who is constantly picking a fight with you and you're like, God, I don't know why he or she is always trying to fight with me. That's because they're an anxious attachment style. They're trying to find that, that validation. They're trying to feel connected, but they're doing it in the wrong way, obviously, instead of being a secure attachment style where that attachment style will simply just communicate with you and say like, I'm just not feeling connected. We need to do something. We need to either have like a date night or we need to just go out just the two of us without the kids or whatever it is. But that anxious style, they're going to pick fights with you. They're going to constantly try and 
drive the drama in the relationship and it's not healthy. It's not, it, you had me think I was on a, my morning walk yesterday and I was listening to the, this radio show. It's kind of one of my favorite, Heidi and Frank on KLOS, I forget, 95.5 here in Los Angeles. Hmm. And they were they had a whole segment about dating because people were calling and asking these questions about dating and yada, yada, yada. Well, what, two of them strongly feel that, I don't know why I thought of this, but two of them strongly feel that if you get in a relationship with someone and based on these attachment styles, if you don't align up, you should never try to fix a person. You should never like, you know, try to cure their anxious attachment. You should never try to change it, avoid attachment. It's just, you just should not be with them. This relationship is never going to work out. What is your thoughts on that? Do you feel mm. that we can get in relationships and possibly change our partner? Or are we doomed? We should only really align ourselves with people that already just work with our lives. What is your thoughts on that? So first of all, you can never fix or change another person. So you should never get into a relationship with the idea of, well, I can just tweak this little behavior or I can fix this or I can change this. No, you just have to accept it. Mm -hmm. So like I said, an anxious and an anxious don't work. An avoidant, <clears throat> excuse me, an avoidant don't work. An avoidant and anxious is like a little merry-go-round. Mm -hmm. If you want a healthy relationship, then one partner is secure and the other one is either anxious or avoidant or secure. Mm, because so the secure will accept you as you are and won't try to change yes. you. And that's the whole thing. The secure attachment person, the person who has that style knows how to communicate. They're not experts in it. Don't get me wrong, but they're going to be patient and they're going to allow you to be the one that you need to be, just like your situation, right? John yeah. allows you to be avoidant when you need that. And he knows because he's secure enough to know that when you are ready to communicate or you're ready to come back and have that closeness, that you will. Yeah. That's what, I, that's what I appreciate about my relationship with him the most, honestly. And that's why I can never see myself separating from him because in my past relationships i had men who are very jealous who would try to control my friendships control my time or be like belittling or had some that would put me down and try to tell me that i'm not as talented as i could be but then john is a complete opposite he's like there are some things i feel like there's still a residual thing going on within my relationship from past relationships like john says i have complete freedom right but because my past two relationships were with the, like these anxious, slight kind of attachment styles, I still work within this relationship thinking that he wants to control my every move and everything I do. And I, I, wow. I, I purposely limit what I do sometimes thinking that he might turn into that ex. It's like that still lingers for me sometimes. So it's interesting navigating our relationship. But that being said, he is the most secure person I've ever been with. And because of that, it works for me. And I can never just see myself being with anybody else. Like, it's something, I mean, I don't want to wish anything on my relationship. That's like when he had that accident a few years ago, he was in ICU. It was like the scariest thing to watch that because I realized that I would not want to like go throughout life without him here because he does give that to me because I've had so many relations where it's just like this anxious energy all the fucking time. And this is the first time where it doesn't feel like that. And okay. I think you saying that makes perfect sense why my relationship is working. One of us is like, okay, you do you, you be yourself. I'm okay. here. And if no yeah. one in the relationship is doing that, then that's a problem. Cause I know a lot of relationships are to avoidance. I can mm. almost see them around me, the relationships that are too avoidant or too anxious. And then I can honestly now see, like my dad was a secure, my mom was an anxious. Based on outside looking in, I don't know how things were when the doors were closed and I was in my room, but from me being just their son, looking at them and thinking back and reflecting, my dad was definitely secure and my mom was definitely be, like, between avoidant and anxious. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, 
it's beneficial to sit down and look at your past relationships. You know, re I do suggest reading the book so that you have like a really clear understanding of the styles, but or reading any book really about attachment styles. I just particularly like this book because I feel like it's easily consumable. It's easy to understand, but there are a ton of experts out there that talk about attachment styles. But with that said, sitting down and like looking at your past relationships and seeing if you can't figure out where your last five relationships fell. Like, was that partner anxious, avoidant, or secure? And like really sit down and see like, oh my goodness, do I have a tendency to attract a very specific type of style? Mm -hmm. Do I always attract the avoidance? Do I always attract the anxious? Do I always attract the secure, which I don't know. I mean, that would really come up. I mean, then you probably that married. Look, exactly. Like, how are you attracting a bunch of secure people? You're not married yet. I yeah. will say, John is also the first person I dated differently than my past relationships. He was the first person that I actually just was friends with before mm -hmm. we actually met. Like, every other ex was, I would go on an app. We will see each other's photos within like maybe an hour or two or three or four. We'll link up, maybe have sex, continue to date after that. And then the relationship falls apart. He was the. And yeah, Did him and my other two exes, we were sort of friends first. And those were all my long terms. Did he but... set the tone? Meaning. When you look back at when you first met, did he kind of set that tone of like, I don't want to sleep together right away. I just want us to slowly get to know each other. I would say yes, because I think he initially hit me up because he lived close to me. I was staying at my parents' house and he had lived in Montclair, but he worked in New York. Mm. But it was weird that, like, how is this guy living in, like, Glen I, I just thought it was weird that he was living there because there's not really many people around. So we just ended up talking just based on proximity. Um, he never pushed meeting or anything. It was always just, a, hey, how was your day? And I was like, it's great, blah, 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 blah. But it just one day I was in New York City working in this restaurant that I, I used to enjoy working at actually. Um, and I got off work. He had just got off work and we were close to each other because I was in Union Square. I think it was Union Square or Fifth Avenue, one of the two. Um, he said, oh, I just got off. What are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just getting off of work. He said, hey, would you like to meet? I'm still in my work uniform, mind you. I mean, Aww. I did wear a white button up and black slacks so I could easily pivot it sort of into like, oh, this is just business casual. <laughs> you know, but... <laughs> <laughs> But we met and we went to a sushi restaurant and we were there for like four hours. I'm not going to lie. I did suck his dick on the first night. <laughs> but we didn't have full on sex for a few months. We were just like for the longest time. And I think that was the only thing I did the first night. But then for a long, for the few days after that, we were going on dates to the city, to piano bars, going out to eat. Aww. And then we just make out in my truck, like we were like teenagers and then he'd go into his apartment. Like for like the weeks after it was just that. Cause we didn't That's have really anywhere cute. to go. Cause he had his place. I live with my parents. He was living with someone. So there was really nowhere for us to go. So that one isolated incident on our first date was it. And then we just was dating and petting and dating and petting. And then the rest is history. I mean, there's a lot to say, and maybe at some point we should do an entire show about it, but there is a lot to say about not having sex too early. In, and I, I think that's proof right there. Um, yeah. And yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe that's a good idea for another episode sometime to have that conversation and kind of pull some of the experts out there that really believe in that, like Steve Harvey. <laughs> he believes in not having sex on the first date. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, a shut in because let's be real. Once the guy gets the goods, he's bored. Well, I mean, a lot of it has to do with how you process sex and what sex means to you as far as men versus women. And that goes for men with men, not just heterosexual relationships. Mm -hmm. It's just 
the physical the physical reaction that men have to sex, which we'll get into in another episode because I don't yeah. want to go too far off the attachment style. But yeah, you know, just knowing what your attachment style is, don't you know? So many times I see people get really excited about learning something new and then they go overboard and they just want to know everything. And then they go off and they start analyzing everyone that they meet. And I don't want our listeners to do that. I don't want you to find out what your attachment style is and then sit down on a date with someone and try and assume their attachment style and then be like, oh my God, they're such an avoidant. I can't date them. Yeah. You can't do that. That is. You won't even know. Right. You don't know what their attachment style is and you're sure as fuck are not going to ask them on a first date to take the quiz because that is just the stupidest shit ever. And if you do that, I'm going to say you're probably not a secure attachment style anyways. No, you're probably an anxious person if you're asking for someone. I thought the first date should be, even though we've talked about, you said it it should be like... I Okay, I'm just going to say, I think it should be a chill experience. Like... If it's a good first date, it should just be a fun flow of conversation, uh, exchange of information about one another that's not too stuffy. Yeah, just like, you know, stories, anecdotes, fun experiences, favorite. The one thing you should never talk about on the first date, I feel like we we should do a whole show about this. Like what do's and don'ts of first dates. first dates. I have like, I used to always ask people on a first date, so why did your last relationships fail? Uh, I was a no. very anxious attachment style type question. I can uh, see now. Oh, yeah. So no, no, no. That's coming <laughs> in the future. But yeah, there's so much to unpack learning. Your, now that I know, mm-hmm. it is explained so much. Even my um, non-intimate relationships in a way. Yeah, that's actually a really good point to bring up that your attachment style is how you attach to relationships, not intimate partners, but relationships in general. So it's how you're going to attach to, you know, a parent or a sibling or a close friend or maybe a a business partner. Yeah. Yeah. So you really... If you can understand your attachment style and if you are an avoidant or an anxious, you know, don't beat yourself up for it. (laughs) Do what you can to try and be more secure. It's really all focused around communication and having confidence and trust in yourself or maybe hire a coach to help you get to that secure style. But if you can't get there, at least be aware of it. You know, going into a relationship knowing like, I'm an avoidant and I know that means that I don't open up. I don't share when I'm with people. I'm not vulnerable when I'm on dates. Go on that first date with that information at the forefront of your, you know, goals for the date and say, I'm going to share something that's very intimate, very personal. Even, you know, for a lot of avoidance, that could be just something from your childhood. Mm -hmm. But do that. If you go into it knowing that you don't normally do that and you want a relationship, then go into the date now and change it. Be vulnerable. And you know what? Yeah. Who cares if you don't get a second date with them? Who cares? Who cares if they know that information about you? This also explains why I'm not crazy about eye contact. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that, it's, eye contact is way too fucking intimate for me it's yeah. there are times where i'm on set and they pair me with someone and, and i have to like stare at them for the duration of the scene i'm just like oh my god i'm about to like melt or spontaneously combust because this is too much for me this is well, way too much for me <laughs> in your acting classes didn't you ever like do the eye that's exercise where you had to like maintain eye contact with a partner from a distance and then slowly get closer and closer until you were like nose to nose maintaining eye contact we used to do that all the time in acting class now i'm (sighs) in the context of in the scene when i'm working as a principal actor and i have words that is fine because i have in action, as I had, I'm mm-hmm. talking about more so when I when I used to do background work. It's just like you're just there staring at someone, like you're on a first date. You're just at a loss of words. You're just like, 
<laughs> not saying a fucking word. And it's so weird because they're uh, it's so intimate. But when you're mm-hmm. acting, yes, it's different because you have to connect. I have to look at you in your eyes. I have to be able to feed off of your um your your energy, the vibes you're giving me, react to the things that you're doing. So without the eye contact, the whole scene is a bust. But in situations where I was just, you know, a, a human lamp, just staring at someone, staring at someone in the eyes is very intimate. And even in social situations where I'm walking through a bar, I don't know if it's because of my stature, I naturally feel people staring at me because of my stature. I don't know. Well, you're I, a good looking guy. So maybe that has something to you do with it. You have a good presence. It's but just, just I, checking you out. I, I, mm. <laughs> and this is, it's weird because I grew up the fat kid, you know, if I were to pull up my high school photo, I have a big fat red Afro and acne and a suit jacket and a blazer with a tie and stuff. It's a hot mess. <laughs> And now it's different. So in my mind, I'm still like the fat kid that nobody wants to look at. So when people are staring at me, in my mind, I'm translating it as I'm still the freak show. And everybody's like, what the fuck is that? That doesn't translate. So that's why eye contact for me is a little weird sometimes. It's like I look down at the ground, like, just stop staring at me. But then I want to be an actor. It's like, what the fuck is wrong? Everyone, well, that's a whole other show. <laughs> that's like a lot to unpack there, but yeah. But yeah, <laughs> and on so that like, note, <laughs> hopefully, we were able to provide some useful information for our listeners. <clears throat> like we said, you know, if you want to learn more about the attachment styles, um, I do talk about them in my book, but briefly, um, I do suggest, you know, getting out there and doing some research and reading some books about it and really getting to know what your attachment style is. And like I said before, a really good exercise is for you to sit down and see if you can try and guess what your previous relationship attachment styles were. You're never going to know for sure, but like if you were in a relationship with someone, you kind of have a better idea. You know, you can't go on a date and guess what someone is, but if you were with someone for a few months, then yeah, you can kind of see behavior patterns, right? Yeah. Yeah, you can never really know someone right away. I feel like people no. should get away from that, thinking that I feel I still this is seven years or six. Please forgive me. But I still <laughs> feel like I'm learning things about my husband even to this day. And he's mm-hmm. slowly, I feel like now I'm really starting to really see his personality and honestly yeah. that takes time you're not getting in year one two or even three <laughs> yeah for sure so like you know like I said you're not going to be 100% sure about their attachment style but just see if you can't figure out like what types do I tend to attract and that'll tell you a lot about yourself and take the quiz you know yes. so that you know what you are the quiz is also in that book if you do end mm-hmm. up reading the book attached um, there is a, a copy of that quiz in the book, or you can just go onto the website and do it there. With that said, we appreciate having you with us and listening to our show. And please feel free to leave us feedback. Um, subscribe on your favorite uh, podcast platform, streaming platform. And until next time, keep dating smarter. Thank you for listening to this episode of Date Smarter, Sexier. If you'd like more information on how you can be more successful with love and dating, or to schedule a free consultation with me, your dating coach and matchmaker, please visit datesmartersexier.com. And please subscribe to this show at your favorite podcast streaming platform.